many years ago, I found myself one night near the crest of a mountain out in Uganda. Now, it's a lonely place. And as I sat in the dark with three friends, we heard singing. It's coming from somewhere down below. And I asked, and I was told that it was a gathering of Christian believers uh, meeting that night in a small village hut. And every week that night, they met there, just the way many of us do here. Another night, I was in a, a very secular place on the other side of the world, out in the countryside, two or three hours outside of the city of Beijing. And we were behind locked doors. Uh, there were 12 or more house church pastors, and we were meeting in secret to pray to fellowship, to study the Word of God. And on both of these occasions, it was extremely moving to me simply to be reminded that wherever you are, the Lord is there. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, the last recorded words of Jesus, the last time he was with them before his ascension, were just that. He was about to return to heaven. But his promise was, you know what it was, Matthew 28, 20, I'll always be with you, always. So when Sam asked me to preach this Sunday, I realized that later this week is the day on the Christian calendar when we stop to remember the last meeting of the Lord with the disciples. It's the day of ascension, the day he left but said he would always be with them. Now We don't think of the ascension as being quite as important as we do something like Christmas or Easter. It doesn't seem to be as relevant to us, but it is. Forty days after the resurrection, that's this coming Thursday, 40 days after Easter, he was taken back into heaven. We just read about it. Russ just read about it from the book of Acts. What happened? Well, Jesus was preparing them for his departure. So he was having his final conversations with them. So I just want to ask you, what, what would you imagine Jesus would have talked with his best friends about in his last meeting with them? Just think about what would he have talked to them about? And if you haven't thought about that, you might want to whisper it to your neighbor. I'm sure there'll be some funny comments about that around the room, as well as some serious ones. <laughs> well, actually, there are two conversations. There's one between Jesus and the disciples, and then that was before he left them, and then just after he left them, the angels spoke with them later. So first, let's just think for a few minutes about what the Lord said to them. I'll read just a bit of it again from Acts chapter 1. He was speaking about, verse 3, the kingdom of God. And then he told them to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, which he would send. So when they were together, they said, well, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And he said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So the Lord seems to have been focused on just a couple of things. First, he spoke about the kingdom of God. All right, so let's just stop there. What's that? The kingdom of God. Well, it's the international community and movement of people anywhere and everywhere who are proclaimers and who are living by the gospel, who are seeking to be true to Christ. It's the faithful church. Wherever the church is and is truly faithful, that's the kingdom, the reign of God. And secondly, he spoke about the coming of the Holy Spirit, which would empower them to be the faithful people of God, to be the kingdom of God, spread it. So even though they had been with Jesus a long time and had heard this before, his very closest friends, they were still confused. They thought that if the Spirit of God was to be poured out upon them, this must mean that the nation of Israel was going to return to its former greatness and that Jesus would rule uh, from Jerusalem as David had ruled. You see, they, they were still focused on the idea of a political, territorial kingdom and a nation uh, that would be all-powerful. They, they had to learn a whole new frame of reference. Rather than being primarily Jews of Israel, they were citizens of God's kingdom. Very different thing. God's kingdom takes precedence over one's nation. God's kingdom takes precedence over one's government. Though God has called us to be faithful American citizens, most of us, belonging to the family of God is vastly more important than being an American. To Christ, you see, it's his church that's the most important body in the world. I don't mean the organization of the church. I just mean the faithful people of Christ, wherever they are. So we're not first Americans or conservatives or moderates or liberals or whatever. Our, our identity now is that we are Christ's. It's his agenda that has to drive us. So our citizenship is in an international brotherhood of one people under God looking to Jesus as our ruler, doing all we know how to be obedient to him. So if someone asks you, well, who are you? Um, there are a lot of ways to answer that question. But for a believer, the simplest answer is, I'm a man or I'm a woman of Jesus Christ. That's primary. So that's the first thing Jesus was speaking to them about. And then he spoke to them about power, verse 8, the power of the Spirit of God. So because of Christ, our understanding of power is very different. Of, of course, we believe in, we understand political power, or military power, or, or the power of uh, financial abundance. We understand the power of the media, the power of the internet. But the real power in the kingdom of God is the power of the Holy Spirit. 
That's why Jesus was so clear about the importance of waiting to receive the Spirit, which came 10 days later, so that they'd be empowered for God's purposes. When you begin to think that achieving God's good purpose is dependent on your accomplishment or on your brains or on your power, then you're thinking the way the disciples were still thinking, see? And we can put way too much faith, for instance, in the organization or in slick publicity or in political activism and too little faith in the power of God, the gospel. That's the power to truly change people and change society. Yes, it's true. Laws uh, or a change in government can change the way people live. But Christ changes hearts and minds and behavior. And, you know, I, I, I've thought about this a lot over the years. I really still believe that the best strategy for the church, among all that we're called to do, the best strategy is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to obey the gospel wherever we are and whatever else we are led to do. Yes, we have to act, we have to work hard, but it's the Spirit of God that enables our efforts to succeed. And honestly, there's, there's no limit to the mighty or amazing things that can happen if the Spirit of God is at work. Honestly, those of you who were here 10 years ago, I mean, 10 years ago, who would have ever believed? Holy smoke. And this is just a little thing, all this property and all that. But it was a big thing for us. So Jesus' last words were about the kingdom of God and about the power. How God can enable people to do what he calls us to do. Okay, then thirdly, he led them out to the area of the Mount of Olives just outside of town. And he blessed them and says he was taken up into heaven. Let me read that verse one more time. Acts 1 verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. He was taken up. It was the passive voice. It's not that he went up. He was taken up. Um, Jesus didn't do this. It was an act of the Father in heaven. And like the resurrection... This is something that's just completely outside our, our frame of reference. We've never experienced anything like this. And yet every week when we meet in worship, we proclaim that we believe in the ascension of Christ. And Jesus' return to heaven is referred to over and over again. It's just assumed throughout the, the New Testament. Jesus explained it on several occasions that he would finish his mission and then he'd go back to the Father. The apostles preached about it. In the next chapter in Acts, Peter preaches about the ascension. But they don't go into a lot of uh, detail. They just say it as fact. He ascended into heaven. People were there. And that's it. Now, artists have depicted this in various ways. And they usually add to what the Bible says. I, I chose a, a picture of a painting by Rembrandt. It was a great painting of the ascension. But you notice he's added some things there that you don't read about in the scriptures. But it's one, it, 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 it's a beautiful vision of this. 
So that's what happened, but what does the ascension mean? That's the question. Prior to this, during those final 40 days, the Lord would periodically appear. He would talk with, he would walk with the disciples, and then he would just disappear. Now, on this day, he could have just disappeared this last time, but that's not what happened. It says God took him, and they saw it. God the Father wanted them to know now Jesus was departing for good. That's what this was about. They weren't to wait around waiting for him to reappear again. Uh, now they were to be on the lookout for the coming of the Spirit and then get on with the mission because Jesus was going home now for good. So then two men in white were suddenly there, angels who spoke to them. Now you, you think about it, angels often showed up in the life of Christ when he, his birth was predicted to Mary, when he was conceived, when he was fasting out in the wilderness, they came and ministered to him. Over and over again, angels came to be with him. And now, here they are again. But this time, they're asking the disciples a question. Why, why are you guys just standing here looking up into the sky? Well, they didn't have an answer for that. They didn't know. I think they were just stunned. Don't try to hold on to him any longer, they said. Let him go now, because in his time, he will return. You go on back to town now. Let me read this one last time, 9 to 11. As they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, some people think that the angel was talking about Pentecost when Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come back. But that doesn't really fit with what Jesus had said Jesus had told them several times that he would send his Holy Spirit, but he also said that one day, at the end of time, he would come back for the time of final judgment. And we'd like to know when that is. We'd like to know what that's going to be like, what it's going to be all about. But we're not told. We're just told that someday Christ will return, and his return will be physical and personal. And it will be in his resurrected and, and glorified heavenly body. It will be visible. Jesus himself had said, uh, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and glory. And the cloud, I think, represents the eminence of God, the presence of God that will be there. Uh, God will be sending his Son back to earth but it will be different from the ascension it won't be localized in just one place Jesus had told them earlier in Luke 17 it that it would be like the lightning that flashes and lights up the sky from one end of the sky to the other every eye will see he says there's so much here that we're not told and, and there's so many other things we'd like to know why God works this way instead of that way why God allows this to happen or why is this prayer seemingly unanswered or what is God doing I just wish I knew more and we're not told <laughs> and I can only conclude 
that there are many things we would like to know, but God says, well, you just don't need to know that. <laughs> but there is a warning in these angels' words to the disciples, and they warn them not just to stand around doing nothing waiting for Jesus' return. Yeah, any day he might return. It could happen at any time. But Jesus had told the disciples that until that time, he didn't want them standing around staring at the sky. He expects us to be doing what he's commanded us to do. Jesus one time was talking about his return to the disciples, and he wondered aloud. He said, I wonder if when I come back, I will find any faith on the earth at all. Would he find his people faithfully serving him? You know, I probably won't still be alive when Jesus comes back. But if I'm alive, I don't want him to find me giving myself to anything that isn't worthy of him. I mean, indulging in just satisfying my selfish wants. Thinking about stuff. Building more houses. I, I mean, I want to be on God's agenda. So let's just summarize this before we finish. First, the disciples had to be reminded about Christ's kingdom and that wherever we are, it's his agenda that matters. And secondly, he's equipped us with the Holy Spirit to enable us to do whatever his agenda is for us. And third, he's now in heaven, but one day he will come back. But have you ever wondered, okay, but what is he doing now? What's the Lord doing now that he's back with his father? Between now and when he returns. Not too long ago, I preached here, and I preached about how Christ is praying for us to the Father. And that's one thing the Scripture says he's doing. But there's more than that, and we don't usually notice it. But whenever the biblical writers spoke about the Son of God having ascended into heaven, it's always said that he returned to the right hand of the Father, that's significant, and that he took his seat, that's significant. So, so Jesus had said, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Almighty. The earliest creeds of the church, they say the same thing. And we said it a few minutes ago. He ascended into heaven and is seated where? At the right hand of the Father. Now, being seated at God's right hand that means that he was crowned as king of kings and lord of lords. And so we believe a great celebration occurred, a coronation service occurred as he returned to be with the Father. And, and we sing a hymn, crown him with many crowns, crown him lord of lords, the lord who reigns over all the earth. That's what this is about. So... First, there was an unimaginably joyful celebration that described in Hebrews chapter 1 about his coming and sitting down. After Christ died, he says, to cleanse us from the state of sin, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. And God said, let all the angels worship him. Your throne endures forever. Great celebration. But the coronation was just the beginning. Once an ancient king was seated on his throne, 
you know this, his every command, his every word was instantaneously obeyed. It was law. And St. Paul described what this was like in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just read you this from uh, Peterson's paraphrase. Ephesians 1, God raised Jesus from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. Not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules his church. The church, Paul said, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Ephesians chapter 1. What's he doing now? He's ruling from on high. He's seated on his throne with God the Father in heaven. He's overseeing all things in heaven and earth for the Father. And we believe he's probably continually conversing with the Father in partnership with the Father, bringing our needs to the Father as an intercessor, seeking to bring about the Father's perfect will. Christ oversees all creation, but his greatest concern is the people who look to him in faith and love, his kingdom around the globe. It's his faithful people who love him, who matter to him the most. He's the head of the church here on earth and the leader and the helper who watches over and enables us to do his will. But he's not just watching. I want you to notice something. Every description of the ascended Christ that we read shows him as seated in this way, watching over his church every time except one time. There's one time in the New Testament where it says Jesus stood up. And I wish I had time to tell you the story in detail, but you can read about it. It's the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7. It was sometime after the ascension, Stephen was preaching boldly to a group of religious leaders about Jesus, and they became so angry they picked up rocks and they began throwing them at him, and they kept it up until they were totally out of control, and they killed Stephen. It's absolutely horrible. He's the first Christian martyr. Let me just read just a bit of this story from Acts 7. When they heard these things, they were enraged. They ground their teeth at Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and what else? And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, I see heaven opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That means he died. Did you hear what it said? It said for just a moment, Stephen saw 
the Lord. Heaven simply opened up before him. And he saw the Lord at the right hand of the Father. But he wasn't sitting. Jesus was so touched. He was so focused on watching what was happening to his servant. That he simply stood up. That's the only time we, we read about that happening. Here's the king of kings in heaven ruling everything, watching a young preacher on earth so deeply moved that he rises from his throne. Is he moved by the faithfulness of Stephen? Um, is it because he wants to welcome the very first Christian martyr into heaven? I don't know. To me, it's like, it's like uh, Jesus is pointing to Stephen and saying, Hey, Dad, look. This is so powerful. Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, but now we see Christ confessing his servant before the Father. Now, the Lord doesn't stoop down. He doesn't stop the stoning, but he's there, and Stephen knows it. He sees Christ, and Christ is focused upon him. Jesus is right there in the middle of it. We've got one more picture for you to see. Look, look where Stephen's eyes are looking. He's looking past the man who's about to kill him. And you see who he sees up in heaven? You see the Father? And on the Father's right hand, you see the Lord? And he's standing, isn't he? What does this tell you about Christ? It tells us that even though the Lord will sometimes allow terrible things, inexplicable things to happen, the Lord is still present. Very intent, watching, encouraging to us as we do his will. And sometimes in rare moments, we even get a sense of his presence. Some have even had the very rare experience of getting a glimpse of him just for an instant. His presence with us, his gaze upon us. It can happen. So, time for me to close. I'd like to just close with a story, a, a story that old timers in the church may have heard before. It's about another death that was full of Christ. In the last 10 years of his life, my father was transformed into a deeply committed, bold, compassionate servant of Christ. He had always been a believer and a man of deep integrity, but he became, in the last few years, a man of God. And when I was 22, I came from seminary to see him because he was in the hospital having had unexpected surgery. That, that the time I spent with my father that day was the most significant time I ever had with him. I was shocked at how sick he was, but he was perfectly lucid and determined to learn how I was doing, to tell me what was happening to him. It, it was a holy time. I was not expecting it. That little intensive care room was full of the Holy Spirit. And Dad told me the most remarkable story 
that Christ had revealed himself to him right there at the bedside, reaching out his hand to dad from heaven. He told me that he had never, ever had a sensation like it. He had never sensed the wonder, the glory, the presence of God as he did at that moment. And the beauty of the Lord, he, had, he, said, he said, son, I never wanted anything so much as I just wanted to be with him. And if he had said to me, come with me, I was ready to go. What was my dad saying? He was saying, don't worry about me. He told me he loved me. He told me to marry Susan. <laughs> and then he told me goodbye. He had caught a glimpse of Christ, and there was no holding him back now. And not long after that, my dad was taken from that little room to be with the Lord. His body was still there, but he was gone. <laughs> and as I picture that holy moment in my mind, I don't know. I just, I just can imagine Christ even standing and reaching out his hand and welcoming him. The ascension tells us that Jesus is at the side of his Father in heaven right now. But heaven is not far from us. It's right here, just on the other side, all around us. He's near, and his great concern is for his people, those who love him, wherever his sons and daughters are. He watches, he listens, he leads. He helps, and wherever we reach out to him, he reaches out to us, and he gives us all we need. Never think that you're alone. Didn't we just sing about that a few minutes ago? You are not alone. Never think that you're by yourself. If you belong to Christ, then Christ is present with you wherever you are, in China, in Africa, in the middle of your final exams, out on the lacrosse field, wherever you are. You are never alone. So, dear friends, as we go today, I just want you to take two things with you. First, as you go, know that Christ is with you. Say it to yourself. Lord, you're with me. Lord, you are with me. Every day, remind yourself of that. And secondly... Picture him now, also seated at the right hand of the Father, but looking towards you, fully aware of all you are facing. And as St. Paul said, Christ is at the right hand of God, interceding for you, taking our needs to the Father. He knows about your need. He knows about your concern. Maybe it's a concern for a child or some decision you've got to make, something that you're fearful about. He knows, and he will be with you in whatever it is. He will see you through, and he will make all things well. So, Lord Jesus, we honor you. We bow before you as King of kings and Lord of lords as you sit on your throne. And, and here we know that you are also present 
as well by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that we never forget that you are with us. As we look to your return, we pray that we will always be full of faith and always serving you with joy and peace. Amen.